0: Hello and welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. I'm Liz Reitzig and our co-host Rachel Mills. Good to be with you again, Liz. Great to have you always. Now, remember, if you're listening, if this is your first time tuning in, please check us out at nourishingliberty.com and you can see all about what we are doing. And Rachel, where can people find you?
1: Um, gosh, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> right now, I'm not really promoting anything, but I hope to be promoting something soon. Um, but I've also, I've always got rachelmills.com, which points various places. Oh, I've, a, I've got a Substack. I have a Substack. It's called Rachel's Hot Takes. On oh, great. I didn't even so, know that. Yeah. Look, look me up on Substack and subscribe to me there.
0: Great. Thank you. And we are a podcast where we talk about our food systems and how we fit into them. It's kind of important and it seems to be that it is becoming increasingly more important and also harder to understand how do we fit into our food systems and how do we access the foods that we need. Today, being early November, we are gonna talk a little bit about something called pasture poultry. We're gonna talk about Thanksgiving turkeys,
1: We're
0: going to talk Turkey. Yeah, we are. And there's some stuff happening in the world right now. And in the U S that is giving us a little bit of, um, alarm around diesel and fuel prices. So we're going to talk a little bit about that too. And, you know, I think Rachel, even though that's timely right now, it's also, uh, it's also routine. It's also regular that Our food production relies so much on fuels every single component of it so it's always going to be a factor at least i anticipate in our lifetimes yeah you need
1: diesel to do all kinds of things to move things around and till up the soil and drive to the grocery store and trucks still deliver things so diesel and gas it all makes the economy run and it moves our food supply around and it's one reason you advocate for shorter supply chains. Is you got that, that right. <laughs> that means less reliance on diesel, which is kind of in fragile. I won't. I mean, yeah, short and fragile supply right now. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. We'll get into yeah, it.
0: I really do want to get into that because it's such an important component that is so easy to overlook. But first, let's talk about poultry, and most especially right now, chickens and turkey, because here we are, a few weeks away from Thanksgiving. And a couple of things, you know, we've talked about chicken before, Rachel, and you've you've given us lots of good illustrations of what it was like to be a chicken mama for a while. I miss my
1: chickens.
0: When it comes to turkey and turkey pricing, there there is. Let me separate those two. When it comes to turkey, there. Is a method of production that's called pastured, right? And typically in that method of production, birds are outside. And you know what? I love it that chickens and turkeys, they actually eat grass. So they need to be on the grass. They need to be out there.
1: They eat bugs. Yeah, that's the source of protein. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it is really great for them to be outdoors, in the pasture, in the fields, and they're frequently kept in um, open air domes, right? Like dome type cages. They're not they're not intended to keep the bird in as much as to keep the fox out. <laughs> but there they are, and they're large, so they're on the ground, and the chickens or the turkeys can roam inside of them. They're not they're not stuck, right? They're not what you think of as a cage, but they're protective, and in this way. The chickens, the turkeys, whatever birds the farmer has are not going to get taken by foxes, raccoons and birds of prey. Yeah, Really important, right? Yeah. Um, and then also many of these are set up in a way where the farmer or an employee or even a livestock can take that cage and move it 10, 20, 30 feet each day so that the whole group of chickens or turkeys inside that large dome they can all get fresh pasture each day yeah because if you
1: keep that dome on one spot too long it gets pretty gnarly (laughs) you want fresh grass all the time
0: yeah Yeah, exactly yeah and it also distributes the bird manure more easily. yeah 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 so All of these are important components in uh, raising meat birds, but pretty much, especially here in my bioregion, which is a little bit colder than your bioregion, a really important component of all the bird's diet is also a supplemental feed, a grain feed of some sort. And grain feeds come in all different ingredient components. So that most of the conventional grain feed has an abundance of GMO corn, GMO soy in it. And unless a producer specifies that their birds are not getting a GMO grain, they most likely are. And one of the things I wanna to cover today is the, the nuance or the sensitivity of, well, how do you actually know if the farmers, if they're saying this is a pastured turkey, or a heritage breed turkey, or organic. I mean, there's all these words that farms throw around. And marketing emails, whatever. There's pastured, organic, cage-free, GMO-free, soy-free, corn-free. And what does it all really mean? And does it doesn't then, mean anything. And does it mean what you think it means? doesn't mean what you think it means. And are they even telling you the truth? And how do you know if they're telling you the truth? And it can, be, it can be a little bit complicated, right? So of course, the best option is in being involved in the, your production somehow or other. And most of us, that's really not accessible. So the next best option is knowing the producer and the process that they are using to raise those animals. And like I said, there's so many different labels and they mean different things. So let's just go over them real quick. Heritage means. Do you know what heritage means? What you oh, this about will be turkey?
1: a fun game. You ask me what I think it means, and then you tell me what it really means. Heritage, okay. I think heritage, I would think it means um a, uh like an old breed that's not crossed with a bunch of other breeds.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Basically. Yeah. And I'm sure there's somewhere a list of which heritage breeds get to Get claimed as heritage breeds. I don't know that list, and the, it's it's typically not your uh, your the the image that you have of a turkey when when you see that. It's typically not that right. The the modern hybridized animal. And the thing with the heritage breed turkeys is they're extremely hard to raise up for for a market they're really really hard to keep enough meat on them for what we've become accustomed to. Oh, super hard. Oh,
1: I I read about this, like the modern turkeys that you eat, they have such um <laughs> not to be crass, but big breasts, <laughs> so to speak, and they're so dense that they could never possibly in a million years actually fly
0: true well yeah that's i mean that's turkeys are not really typical they don't fly a lot anyway
1: yeah like chickens don't fly a lot but you know they can kind of coast yeah you know they can get away they can fly short distances but like that that modern turkeys are so um yes bread yes. into like this monstrosity. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's not a functional animal anymore.
0: Right. Right. So that being most people, when they think of a, a nice centerpiece on the table, it's not going to be this really scrawny little bird.
1: Yeah. So probably a turkey in the wild is so
0: sinewy that it's too yeah. tough to eat. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. A lot of people hunt turkeys and eat them.
1: You probably right? have to stew it for a while to tenderize it.
0: Probably it's not what most of us are thinking when we think about our Thanksgiving meals, right?
1: I think of something else when I hear wild turkey. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beverage.
0: <laughs> anyway. um, so, yeah. So one thing to keep in mind, if you're seeing this label of heritage breed and it's a meaty bird expect to pay a ridiculous amount for it, oh, if it's really a heritage breed. Okay, is there some benefit to that kind of meat? No, okay. <laughs> no. for most people, I mean, I, nothing conclusive at all. It's more like you get to tell people this is a heritage turkey, okay. Or okay. If you just really wanna pay $20 a pound for your Thanksgiving turkey. Okay, But keeping in mind all those factors that it's hard to keep them meaty, very hard. It's really hard to raise them to that point. So it is going to be very expensive. If there's somebody selling you a heritage breed turkey and it is less than $15 a pound, you got to ask a lot of questions. Okay. A lot of questions because it's probably not. Okay. Okay. So organic i mean organic has a pretty standard definition if you're looking at usda organic it's it's there it's all in writing that being said
1: can i tell you what i think organic means yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell me how wrong i am <laughs> i think i think organic means raised without um chemicals and raised on organic feed that doesn't have like uh Uh, Pesticides, and it's not genetically modified, and um, and it's raised on a happy farm where everyone's happy all the time, and it gets kisses and cuddles.
0: No, that's organic. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. There's still there's still a restriction against GMOs and organic. Okay, but uh, there are lots and plenty of chemicals that you can use in the, or still have organic certification. But what it does mean, if you're gonna have something, if you go to the store and you buy an organic turkey, that it does have to follow those certain processes. And that includes the, the feed that the chickens or the turkeys are getting has to be labeled organic. It does not mean they have to be outdoors. It does not even mean that they're eating insects. It just means that their feed is labeled organic. Oh, wow. And then they have to go through an organic processor. follows the organic standards at that however one caveat to that is we have some glitches in our uh, in our system (laughs) imagine that you get something full of bureaucracy and there's some glitches in it so sometimes things are not quite as uh organic as they might seem on the outside but If you, if what you care about is the organic certification, then you definitely want to go with an organic labeled turkey or chickens. Mm -hmm. Now that word organic, I mean, it has a USDA definition and processes and uh, bureaucracy that goes with it. But I think when most people think of organic, they think of what you and I think of, right? What you, the description you gave. And so, if that farm kisses and cuddles exactly, and if that's what you want, then you find a farm that produces turkeys in that way, and you do that by visiting them, or you know somebody else who's visited and who who has the expertise to know if the feed bag that they're looking at is actually organic feed or not, right? Yeah. So there has to be certain levels of um, nice, polite, but you got to know because there's a there's a lot of not necessarily, uh, transparency right now.
1: It's almost like you could pay extra for no benefit whatsoever. If you're not careful. exactly.
0: Yes. That's why knowing your source is so important. Otherwise it's, uh, just a marketing term, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. And especially if the pastured part is important to you. Yeah. Because that label organic does not mean that they have to be out on pasture. It does not mean that.
1: But if you want to support this type of system, this type of food system, you got you to gotta do
0: a little extra legwork. Exactly. So true. And if you're into the non-GMO feeds, that's where you get to do a lot of legwork because many farms will, many of the smaller farms, you know, they're operating with fewer animals and are operating for a local market they will have an alternative feed source. So some of the farms that I work with, they grow their own feed. They grow their own corn, non-GMO corn and non-GMO soy, and they make a mix and they feed it to their poultry. And some that of them- That sounds will, expensive. Well, it's actually, it's not as expensive as some of the other options, but especially because they're growing it themselves, right? And some of them, you know, here where we are, there's, there's a lot of options that are GMO free or soy free. But when you get into soy free, then you have to figure out like, how is that animal going to get enough protein? What are they going to eat instead? Because the soy provides a lot of protein in their feed. What? They should eat bugs. (laughs) Well, they still need a supplemental grain with enough protein. So a lot of the times it's pea protein that it's supplemented with. Is that good or bad? Protein. It's, it seems to be fine. I mean, I have not ever heard of anybody being allergic to pea protein in the grain, but I know plenty of people who cannot eat chicken or turkey or any animals that have been fed soy because they are allergic to soy and somehow it still affects them even after it's been digested by another animal. I don't know.
1: That's, uh, not, do that's not, that out? not an
0: experience I've had, but I know that some people are sensitive to that. So it's very important to them to not have soy in it. Interesting. Yeah. And so in those cases, it's generally pea protein. And, or much, much more expensive variations. And I don't even go there because that's just so uh, in a different orbit, right? Mm -hmm. Once you start getting into the really specialty grains, just completely different orbit. But the, the GMO-free f- fed turkeys and chickens are a really good option. It's kind of in between all organic and conventional. It's, a, it's an affordable option for most people. And many of these farms who are doing that, they are the farms that will be the most transparent with you. Ah, okay. And I really like transparency more than perfection. Yeah, that's yeah. a very good point. Yeah. Because if you don't know what you're getting, if you can't look your farmer in the eye and trust them, then you don't know. And if they tell you, if they look at you and they say, you know what? It's not organic, but we grow our own corn and feed it. You know, they're telling you, they're already telling you. So I really appreciate that Mm -hmm. so much. And I think there's something to be said for the transparency over the perfection. I have a question.
1: Yeah. If you're at a restaurant and it's say a nice restaurant that has a menu that wants to put on the description that it's organic, you know, or they have all these flowery terms. Is there any regulation for how they can describe dishes on the
0: menu? Oh, um, I've not heard of anything uh, on that level other than, I mean, the, the term organic is a usda term if they are claiming organic at a restaurant it has to be but in terms of other descriptions i don't know the ins and outs of that on a menu
1: because sometimes they'll say you know pasture raised beef you know and it's like really yeah
0: yeah (laughs) well when it comes to that no there's no standards on that and the thing is is like that's where grass fed and pastured that's where these terms can get really confusing because it Means one thing to us, and there's no accountability and no transparency in that. And so, most cattle, you know, like we've talked about in our previous episodes about cattle, are quote, on pasture for a good portion of their life, mm-hmm. their lives, right? But that doesn't mean that they're all grass fed. It just means that they spent six months on pasture and then they just happened to spend the next 12 months not on pasture, but whatever, right? I mean, that's, that's just an example, but no, it doesn't mean anything when they say that, like the pastured or grass fed on the menu, unless the restaurant has a reputation for having integrity. Right. Yeah. Then it does, but you can't just say across the board. It means the same thing to everybody. Okay. So interesting. Yep. Buyer beware. Yeah. And restaurants beware. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're definitely using these terms to market, catch a different clientele. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, that transparency is so important and so much more important than anything else.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. We cover all the terms. We talked about organic, GMO free, pastured.
1: Any more.
0: I think that that was it. Right. And heritage. We talked about heritage. Yeah. Heritage. Yeah. So, when you are getting your Thanksgiving turkey this year, when am I going to get it? Oh, (laughs) when you get it, if you care about these terms and about supporting the small local farmer, these are things that are important to keep in mind. Cool. And of course, you know, if if you want to go to the supermarket and get their, you know, the loss leader, right? Because they usually do the Thanksgiving turkeys as the loss leader. So that people get in the door and buy all the other things.
1: Yeah, good point. And uh, those are almost
0: certainly conventionally raised, GMO fed, and frozen. Yeah. The cheaper ones are frozen.
1: And who knows for how long. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Do you, do you, um, what kind of turkey do you get? Like, what are you going to do? Or, or
0: what what have you done in the past that's been good? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so I've done a lot of different things in the past. Um, I think I even tried a heritage bird one time and I was like, this is not any different than what I, the, a normal organic or GMO free. And it just is not worth the price difference. And that's, that's knowing the farm, knowing that it's really what it says it is. But some farms will just make wild outlandish claims and they're, they're raising conventional birds and they're raising on GMO feed and then selling it to you like it's organic. It's, so no, just know your farmer. And what I, I like the GMO free ones. I also really do like if the farmers that are doing the organic and soy free. So honestly, Rachel, I have to tell you something. Uh-oh. I love cooking turkeys. I I don't love eating it. I love eating the skin, but I don't love eating turkey for like a week. (laughs) I think I agree
1: with you actually.
0: I love it. So what I'll typically do is I'll get two or more turkeys from different farms at Thanksgiving time because that's when they have them, right? Yeah. And When I cook for my family, and and that's a a broad term, family can be family and neighbors and friends and whoever else wants to come over. Yeah. Um, When I cook it, I like to brine it first.
1: Okay. Oh, that's very controversial. Brining versus not brining. And does it make a difference?
0: Well, it can. I have found that I enjoy it. Sure. I I enjoy it. So I'm going to say go with what you love, right? Because why the heck not? And my brine is really just super simple and easy. Um, I, I, I try really hard not to overcomplicate things, mm-hmm. but I've also just gotten into that pattern, right? So I'll, I will happily cook a turkey. And you know what? A couple of years ago, or was it last year, somebody had an extra turkey that they, we, we, we somehow ended up with five Thanksgiving turkeys. <laughs> and I'm like- Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, I know. Cause I mean, I, I usually get like two and put one or two, one in the freezer but then I did that. Somebody else gave us one. Somebody got one for their family and then ended up not being able to cook it. So, Hey, you want a turkey? Okay. Um, it's fun. I do enjoy cooking turkeys very much, but so if somebody's, if there's a tight time frame, I'm not going to brine it, but if I'm relaxed and getting to do things the way I want to I'll brine it. And it's, water, salt, pepper. And what I love, what I find does make a difference in the end result is I always put jalapeno in it.
1: Ah, Jalapeno. I love it. Secret sauce.
0: And it's, it just adds that tiny bit of something at the end. And and
1: it's, it's a little bit acidic. So it's going to tenderize.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the salt, my understanding of the science of it is that the salt gets into the tissue and tenderizes it. Uh I'm not an expert on the why behind that, Uh, but the flavor of the jalapeno just gets into the turkey meat and it just adds, it's so subtle, but it adds something that's like, oh, what is that? And it just makes you like, think about it a little bit.
1: So like fresh jalapeno just cut up and dropped in the brine? Yeah, maybe like five or 10. Yeah. Yeah. I might try that. I might try that. Yeah. what I usually do is I stuff, uh, citrus into the cavity and that's a good trick. Citrus and onions.
0: Do you slice it first or do you like oranges or grapefruit or lemons? Um, quartered onions, oranges, lemons. Whole?
1: Uh, Yeah. Whole, but quartered.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. I love that. I love that because then you get the zest from the the peel also
1: yeah and then you um coat the inside cavity i think you do this first and then add some on top but like with thyme and other spices and then stuff as much orange and onion as you
0: can in there yeah wow that sounds amazing i might just have to adjust my recipe this year yeah i think you
1: can do all of it all of it jalapeno orange
0: or just get more turkeys
1: (laughs) I don't know well like you said it's the the turkey sandwiches the turkey salad the turkey a la king all of all of that I'm I I I get sick of it after like the next day
0: (laughs) yeah I know that's that's the hesitation because everybody does and so then it's like if you have all this turkey you gotta feed it to somebody I mean, that is one of the benefits of having a big family though, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, Yeah. we're we're fixing to have a pretty big Thanksgiving this year actually.
0: So yeah, I I could probably do two birds. That will be so much fun. You can try some different things. Good, are you hosting there? Yes, we are hosting.
1: My mom and dad are coming and my brother and his wife and two kids. So, wow,
0: wow, what a
1: crew. Yeah, so it's gonna be 10 of us. Yeah, 10 for Thanksgiving.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's a high school, but Rachel. There,
1: there will be many helping hands in my kitchen, so that's gonna make it fun. Wonderful.
0: Well, let's switch over to talking a little bit about what we talked about last time, which was fuel prices. Yeah. Because we have um, that, all of us have that on our minds, in the background. As we're preparing for family gatherings and as we're sourcing our food and watching the prices go wonky we've all got that in the back of our minds
1: yeah and the price of fuel um we've gotten a little tiny reprieve but i made a prediction last time we talked about this and i'm going to stand by that prediction that by the end of the year you'll be paying double digits for a gallon of gas at the grocery store. I I think that we're kind of in for a world of hurt as we move, especially past the election. I mean, gas prices aren't necessarily political, unfortunately, because the the government has way more control over gas supply than they should. Um, And the current administration, for whatever reason is very much anti-oil and gas and they've restricted a lot of uh, the new supply and the drilling and you know that's gonna show up in a restricted supply at the pump and that's gonna be higher prices. And um, I don't know if people are following the news but uh, Biden asked Saudi Arabia, OPEC, to increase their output, which has a huge impact on world supply markets and prices and all of that. They kind of you know, gauge how much they're gonna pump based on price levels. And they said, no, they, they told Biden to go pound sand. Um, so he continually has been releasing uh, strategic petroleum reserves into the market to kind of soften the blow. <clears throat> But you know what, whatever he releases, then the Saudis, they kind of reduce their supply to match. So it, it's not really getting us anywhere. But I mean, the frustrating thing is we could be energy independent again tomorrow if they just released some uh, leases. And I, I don't know how all of this works exactly, but the government is in charge of these oil leases, oil and gas leases, and that affects supply. And um, frustratingly there is some math error (laughs) at some agency in how they calculate environmental impact. And you can look this up, do a search on math error and uh, Biden administration and and oil supply. And and you'll find an article about it maybe on page two or three (laughs) by now. But there is some math error that they are not correcting. And that is halting this New supply that we need, and it, it's it's very frustrating that, you know, it would <clears throat> be very simple to fix the problem, but it's, it's against their agenda to eventually force everyone through higher costs to get off of gas and everybody buy an electric car, <laughs> which, you know, we own a Tesla, so we're not anti-electric car by any means, and our other car is a Prius, so... You know, here in the Mills Owen household, we we don't pay a whole lot <laughs> at the pump anyway. But you know, we're affected by the prices at the grocery store. You know, when gas is expensive, everything is expensive.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I I would say if if there are non perishable things at the grocery store that you need for your big Thanksgiving dinner, go ahead and get those things now because I don't think prices are gonna improve at all. Um, and I, I don't know what's gonna happen with the election. That is just, I think we're gonna be plunged into a whole bunch of chaos because I think a lot of the election results are gonna be contested. Um, I don't know what kind of shenanigans are gonna go on. You know, I, We're just gonna have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, Rachel, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of we're going into an unpredictable time And one of the things that you said that I want to elaborate on a little bit is the um, the cost of food going up because of oil prices going up. Now, when you're talking about gas, are you making any distinction between diesel and gasoline, or are you kind of talking about them both under that? Well, they're they're both related, but the reason that
1: the diesel is especially expensive right now is a lot of the refineries have had to switch to refining diesel, especially. You know, we, we have very limited refinery capacity. capacity. That's a, a big choke point for the uh, supply of oil and gas. Um, and, and so, uh, now how, how did, how did I, I read about this. Maybe it's the other way around. Um, they had to stop refining diesel to output more gas for cars because that was going up and now the diesel supply is is oh i see yeah something like that yeah but anyway yeah the two are closely tied together because a refinery apparently they can do one or the other um and you know refinery capacity is is a huge deal because to get new refinery capacity online takes a lot of permits and years and years of regulatory BS. And, you know, it's just, yeah. So we have a lot of, it
0: it sounds like a parallel in the food system where we have the bottleneck is the meat processing facilities. Yeah. That's, that's where it's all bottlenecking right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's very complicated.
0: Of course we rely many of us, most of us as a system, we rely on our food being transported many miles in mostly diesel powered vehicles. And another important component to remember and, and think about in our current food system is that the farm equipment is also diesel powered, a lot of it. And even if the uh, even if there's a lot of electricity on the farm, often they're generators, diesel powered generators, powering certain things on the farm or at the processing facilities, right? Yeah. So we're looking at, Every component of our food system has this. And I'm not just talking about proteins. I am talking about across the board. Or you look at, let's not even open this can of worms, but all the monocropped plant-based foods out in the deserty areas of our country that cannot support that kind of agriculture, but yet it is very input intensive. But all of these things take massive amounts of fuel to keep them going. So as we think about our food system and what kind of food system we want to support and build, we've got to start thinking about a system that's not quite so reliant on fuels and so not so vulnerable if something like this happens. Because we're yeah. seeing these vulnerabilities play out. It's not It's not that... All food production everywhere is going to stop and everybody's going to starve. No, but it, it is creating these disparities. Prices are going way up. We know that people are suffering because of the prices going up. It's not like they just can't have their ham sandwich the day they want their ham sandwich. It's like people are really experiencing hunger from these issues and malnutrition, and that's going to increase. I'm afraid the so. Disparity, the disparity is going to increase a lot. You know, <laughs> Maybe we gotta we gotta look at these Amish communities
1: and see what they're doing. I nope,
0: know? nope. The Amish are not a good example because they're some of the communities that use so much fuel in their generators. What? They're off the grid, so they're using massive generators to keep their equipment running.
1: They're not supposed to have diesel generator. Okay. You just blew my mind.
0: I thought they were all horse powered. Nope. I mean, think about it. They can't be because how are they gonna, like Where some place has to store the meat that they process. Some place has to store whatever it is they're growing or greenhouses. So a lot of farmers who are doing vegetable production have greenhouses and the greenhouses keep the crops. um, It it extends the growing season so that those of us in cold climates, Rachel, (laughs) (laughs) we can still have vegetables you know instead of it being a uh, may through october growing season we can extend that to like a february through december growing season with the help of greenhouses but guess what we don't get enough sun in the winter for the sun it, it for the only the sun to keep the greenhouse warm so how does it stay warm it gets heated So those who are growing vegetables in greenhouses in the winter are also using high inputs. You just blew my mind. (laughs) It's real. I thought they
1: used only classic methods like pre-diesel engine and stuff.
0: No? Nope. Nope. It's it's really interesting the nuances within the Amish farming community because they have certain rules. I don't understand all of them. They have certain rules about what they can use and can't use. They can use mechanical equipment, but the motor cannot be attached to the other part of it. I mean, I, I don't even understand like, how to describe these things. They're not use supposed wheels. to have buttons. <laughs> they can use wheels, but the wheels can't have rubber on them. I mean, there's a lot of nuances there that I do not fully understand.
1: Okay, this is a whole area of rabbit hole that I totally misunderstand. Yeah, well, wow. the
0: Amish are, are real, heavily, heavily vested in diesel. Absolutely. And, and um, uh, sorry, what's that? Propane. <laughs> like, hey, someone wow. yeah. Who knew? Yeah.
1: Well, scratch that idea off the list. We're gonna have to, I I don't know, go back to history books or, I don't know. uh, Diversify. Yeah, diversify.
0: Diversify Diversify is always good. And and relocalize, right? Because you and I talk about this almost every time. Somehow we circle back to short food supply chains and how important it is to to have a system in your close vicinity and definitely in your bioregion to have a system of support, shall we say calorie support, <laughs> but yeah. relocalizing these m- microsystems. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, if, if, the, um, if the barn that has the milking cows is a hundred yards away and everybody within two, 300 yards goes there for their milk every day, that's totally different. That's a completely different type of system, right? And if you know that you have fruit trees and nut trees and um the perennials right that you you know where they are and it's in a community space and you can get to it without the use of diesel fuels and if you know that you've got a community herb garden in a another area you know you've got all of this integrated within a small local system you you've just erased so many vulnerabilities And you've just ensured or ushered, assured that everybody in that, that locality is going to be food secure. Basic needs are going to be met.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope I'm wrong about uh, diesel prices and gas prices. Um, Every
0: day it's looking more and more like you're right. I don't like being right
1: about things like that, but you know, I'm just kind of bracing for it. it's it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Um, I, I, I hope some adults in the room will step
0: up and, and make some good choices. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, we're at $6 a gallon right now for diesel here.
1: Yeah. I think average is like $5 and 38 cents, something like that. And gas is, um, in the threes. So there's, There's disparity, but I I think that uh, gas is going to catch up. I you know I mean like I said it's a political thing. Gas prices are a very political thing. You know it's the economy, stupid. Um, And we've got an election coming up on Tuesday, and I I just can't help but think that those SPRs, those releases from our strategic petroleum reserves are to kind of soften the blow whatever is going to happen to the democrats on tuesday and then after that who knows what's going to happen so yeah yeah i i would say going into tuesday uh make sure you got a full tank of gas
0: yeah i would agree with that (laughs) mark my
1: words and uh we'll circle back on that and see if see if I'm right or wrong. But I mean, I I don't know anything, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Take what I say with a grain of salt.
0: (laughs) Well, you've also studied this a lot. So, and it's it's never like, I don't think it's ever bad advice to be like, prepare for something realistic. Yeah, that's all I'm saying is, you know, be prepared for the worst,
1: hope for the best. You know, that's all you can do.
0: I don't think we can be prepared for the worst, but we can be prepared for a likely scenario
1: that's a good way to put it <laughs> and there's our,
0: there's also so many so many worst case scenarios like which direction do you want to like pursue this so yeah. we can go yeah, with yeah. like hey humans are probably going to be a little wonky for a few days and it never hurts to have a few days worth of food and a full tank of gas yeah, yeah. i don't see any situation where that's bad advice rachel
1: yeah there's no downside there's no there's downside, no downside. But I mean, yeah. as far as panicking, I mean, <laughs> on a long enough timeline, the net survival rate for everybody is zero, right? So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow.
0: <laughs> well, my grandmother, she had this wonderful little magnet on her fridge, and it said, my goal is to live forever. So far, so good.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. It's
0: cute, right? So far, so good. It's cheerful. Yes. All right. Well, we shall meet again after election day. Yes, yes.
1: Um, And we'll talk about scheduling. It's kind of up in the air for me, um, but I will be back at some point, maybe not next week,
0: but uh, I'll try. Thank you, Rachel. It's always good to have your perspective. And you know what? Until then, know your neighbor eat for health, and grow some food.
1: Bye, Liz.